everyone. May peace be on you all and welcome to another episode of I'm Muslim and That's Okay. And I have with me another The Whole Muslim segment and with me is Dr. Samina Zahur. How are you, you, Dr. Samina? Hi, Shala. Thank you for having me on. I'm doing great. I'm so happy to have you and I'm I don't just have you just because you're a doctor which is fantastic you are a family practitioner but the wonderful thing about Dr. Samina Zahur is is that you are a a foster parent that you have fostered mashallah like two children of your own if I'm not mistaken and that you have started the Muslim Foster Care Association which helps uh Muslim children in the foster care system be placed with Muslim foster parents. Please do tell us about how that all of that came about for you. Sure. So I wanted to just uh, preface um, to just get our listeners caught up about what foster care is. Mm-hmm. So foster care is a state-initiated temporary placement for children who can't live with their families for reasons such as possible abuse, you know, drugs, uh, financial reasons, maybe the death in the family. Um, and, and this is really meant to be a temporary placement where kids are placed in homes um, mm-hmm. while the family, the biological family is getting the resources and help that they need to then be able to have that child come back into a safe and nurturing environment. So, uh, you know, my husband and I actually got involved in foster care in about 2011. Mm-hmm. Our imam, a local religious leader, had um, given a, a talk about the need for Muslim families in foster care. And as most communities, we, you know, as, we were sort of under the impression that as a Muslim community, we were immune to this, to having children right. from our community going into foster care. It was really eye-opening for us to, to learn mm-hmm. about how many children actually from the Muslim community were entering foster care with no Muslim families to host them. And so my husband and I decided in 2011 to become licensed foster parents. Oh, it took wow. us about six months um, to a year to get go through the licensing, the home visits, the paperwork, the vetting. Um, and then in 2012, we welcomed our first um, foster son, uh, who's about five and a half years old. And really, he was placed with, with us for actually several years before oh, he... Wow. Yes, it was actually a longer process. And, um, and you know, during that time... Uh, as with any new venture that you take, you look for people to reach out to. And, and I found that there really was very few of the foster parents. I mean, we had started Especially off Especially in, in the Muslim community, because uh, for most, most people who were, may not be aware, even though we have it in our scripture to take care of those children, especially who are orphans or who are needy, but there is a certain degree of, I guess, misunderstanding that creates taboo around the subject. So, yeah, I can imagine it must have been very hard to find support from other Muslim families that were also fostering. We actually, uh, you know, started off with a cohort of, uh, you know, maybe 50 people. Mm -hmm. And out of that, only two or three families got licensed actually when they went all the way through. Because it is a pretty intense, a little bit invasive process. But you have to understand if god forbid your own children were taken out of your home for a reason mm-hmm. you would want them to be in a home that's safe and so that right. vetting process can be quite invasive and as a community we're a little bit um shy about um having things really 
you know, pride into home visits right. and you have to really, really lay out um, all financial family history and, mm-hmm. and not everybody's willing to really to, to go through that scrutiny. Um, and so in that process I did, I was able to find uh, Rania Shabib. Mm. And uh, she was actually getting ready to welcome a refugee foster um, child into her home. And through our experiences, we really connected and bonded. And even though the awareness campaign, we were involved in panels, going to different communities to try to increase awareness in the Muslim community, um, really is still facing a lot of those barriers that you had you know, right. mentioned, um, you know, one lack of awareness that this Muslim children in the foster care society in, in the foster care system to, um, you know, misunderstanding that this is a this is a, you, you know, you're adopting a child and taking them right. away from their family. You right. know, three, of course, the mehram issues or, or the male female interaction gender um, right. concerns that Muslim families have when you bring a child into your own existing home. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rani and I realized that, you know, we really needed to to address these these issues and mm-hmm. um, and so as we were we were doing these panel discussions and having these discussions we realized you know there was no organization that was addressing this there were right. other Muslim organizations that had sort of had some educational um, involvement in the communities but nobody was really tackling this very very and growing need this is not something unfortunately as I said you know we as a community are not immune to drug abuse just to, to to you know abuse and what you've said that good and bad families exist in all communities that's a given and our children have to be protected and not just that but there are so many muslim refugees that do enter into the u.s and a lot of the sometimes i mean not a lot of but there are times when there are children coming in without parents and that's the thing ideally it would be that they should be placed with Muslim families, but there aren't. If there aren't any trained foster parents, where would they be placed? They would be placed with other families. They would be Muslim, not not Muslim, or for any other faith. You don't know. So you know, you 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 brought up a you know, very important distinction. So there's there are two types of foster children. Mm-hmm. There's domestic foster children, and those are children within. Uh, your community that in that are in homes that are taken out that are taken out temporarily right. um, for a reason and then placed back and then the goal is always reunification right. and then you have this other um, group of subset of foster children that come from other countries right. that come without they call it the unaccompanied um, refugee minors mm-hmm. um, and they come without their parents and right. so they they have an even greater challenge because right. they're coming to a country with a different culture, different mm-hmm. language. A lot of times if these children were in refugee camps, they have lost a lot of formal education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's there's a lot more challenge for them. And it, it takes a different set of fostering uh, because these children really will stay with you. Refugee uh, foster children will stay with you until they reach independence. And then right. um, once they reach independence, then they, they transitioned out, which is a whole other, you know, um, a challenge in and of itself and, and as an organization you know we really are trying to address both sets of children so right. 
initially when we started we were a little bit more focused on the domestic children we we obviously we did also include whatever whoever we were aware of in the refugee um, and unaccompanied minors we did include them we started off with an Eid program um, mm. as your listeners may or may not know as, as Muslims we have two major religious holidays Eid al-Adha Eid al-Fitr and a lot of the agencies you know they're very good about because they, they have collaborations with churches and things to have presents during Christmas and right. Easter um, but we realized that and, and the reality is Shala unfortunately even despite our efforts and despite our awareness campaign the majority of Muslim children in foster care are in homes of other faiths right. and as a community we have a long way to go to bridge that gap but as an organization we are trying to at least provide that resource and that right. some kind of you know um, assistance uh, when the children are identified that they're Muslim. And here's the thing. It is, it's not my purpose to say that just because Muslim children are placed in homes that are of other faiths, that it's a bad thing per se. Our The primary goal is to keep the children safe. But ideally, they do come from a very specific cultural practice background. And it is, I think, better for the well-being of the children to exist within a a safe space that they are familiar with that sort of thing and then have also like the protection of a foster parent so that's that was my that's the basic premise of this and that's why i think what you do is so important if i could step back um and just look at it at it as a perspective of fostering um when uh like a parent or foster parent decides that yes i want to foster a child um, be it Muslim, not Muslim, um, irrespective of that, and they get the training for it, what are the things that they do have to still keep into consideration before they step into this? So foster parenting is very different from parenting your own children. Right. You have children that have come from different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um uh, they may be raised, you know, raised, even if they're coming from a Muslim home, raised mm-hmm. very differently at right. different levels of faith. And we have right. to understand that not every child coming in as a Muslim may be practicing even. Right. Um, but as a foster parent, you know, these these children need extra care, extra mm-hmm. time. So right. I had three boys of my own when oh, I wow. welcomed my first foster son. And um, even though I went through all the training, it's not until you actually have the child that you realize that there's so much more that you need to know and be aware of and so understanding that just like your your children's siblings fight and argue there's going to be fight fights and arguments between your foster son and your your children um trying your best to make sure that you are giving your children also attention because sometimes that new child when they comes in just as if when a parent has a new child you know, right. born into their family, all of a sudden that child takes on so much more attention. Mm. Understanding that there may be issues that come up with your children right. when you take in that new child that you may not have foreseen and children who are regularly independent doing everything, they may be regressing because they're missing mm. that extra attention, you know, that's right. being taken. There may be a little bit of resentment that who is this child that's getting all of this attention. And right. when I welcome my first foster son, my friends were giving gifts and you know, oh. um, I mean, you know, and so the, my kids were like, well, what's so special, you know, that he's getting all these gifts and right. um, and just, you know, again, with the rules that you have in your home, understanding that a new child coming in 
who hasn't been raised with your rules, it's going to take a little bit longer time to adjust. Right. Then your children also again say, "Well, how come he doesn't have to do this and we have to do this?" And right. so that was the the biggest adjustment I think for my children and for for my relationship with my children and my foster son. And um, you know, it really if if you think it takes a village to raise your child, it takes. A, even large and more extensive village to raise a foster child mm. and i realized the importance of that and i had friends that initially just like when you have a child they would drop off food and try to help you know because literally that child is dropped in your home with mm. just the backpack and right. whatever fits into the backpack right and so you have to you know pretty much figure out schooling you know the what what do they need as far as personal items that they need um you know what are their uh, emotional needs right, right. what if we're not given a whole we're giving some information but until you get that child you don't understand the extent of, of the environment or background that they've come from right, right. so right. dealing with that i remember my first foster son i mean he cried fathers oh. every night oh. asking for his mom mm. right and really not understanding why he was taken away regardless mm. of from the outside of how bad it might have looked he didn't understood that was all he knew right and right. so you know trying to come up with creative ways of of consoling and i remember we said if he didn't want to sleep in the bed and so we set up a tent small tent in my son's room and i slept outside the tent and so he'd have his own safe space because right. you lose so much when you right. are placed in foster care you literally are taken out from one home your home right. into a completely you know um new environment mm. and so and, and every child is different i I've, i've welcomed um uh, you know three foster foster children oh, to my wow. home since i started uh one was for several years and then one was a set of teenage twins that i had for about 6 months and each child is different just like each of mm. your children are different each right. foster child is different their needs are different just because you've fostered before doesn't mean you know exactly what the next foster child needs so in terms of expectations and things to keep in mind one do you have the time to to devote to that additional child okay right. is your family structure stable so that right. when you have this disruption can you know is there health a healthy you know uh, environment there that can adapt to this right. um do you have outside help i wouldn't mm. you know just like you would tell a new parent before they a new child is on the way if, they, if somebody was pregnant who's your support system right who is your support system do you have i my sister would help with pick up drop off i mm. talked to my local islamic school about enrolling my foster son in there i had one friend who helped with uh you know tuition for the islamic school i had a, another friend that would come and pick my foster son up and take him to you know museums and the park and oh, you know that things so that fantastic. you don't always have time to do yourself right. but right. that's what you have to sort of create if you want that child to have a nurturing environment you know right. uh, and imply just more than just shelter and safety right and what you realize is these children are craving for that because that's right. what they you know uh, are missing but despite all the things that you think you're giving to that child that child may not still want to be in foster care and that's oh, yeah. a consideration right i mean you right. think you're doing so many things and giving them so many opportunities at the end of the day they just want to go back home and trying to take your ego away right from right. that you know service that you're providing that you're not doing this to expect anything back from that child this is, is not so a favor per se 
on the child. No. no. You've you've signed up for an obligation and you're fulfilling that obligation. I think that's mm-hmm. what people need to remember. I think the second part is and it sort of ties into this. When the child has to leave you um either to go back to their biological parents or to another set of parents. How is that? I can't even imagine, but I mean you've experienced three such scenarios. You know, I've been fortunate in that I've had some contact, you mm-hmm. know, after even um them being taken back and um I will say that that even though you may not get something directly mm-hmm. back in the form of somebody saying, "Oh, wow, thank you, amazing." Right. You do see the benefit and when you when that child grows and if even some of what you sort of helped to 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 foster um in that in some independence of strength or mm-hmm. you know learning um getting caught up with school you when you see that benefit them that trajectory sending them in just a small trajectory change can can set up a child in a completely different direction it is very gratifying but right. it takes you may or may not see it and i think right. that um you know that's what you have to go in with um and as as muslims you know it's an obligation on a community right and if if nobody's fulfilling that from the community that's that's a that's a sin for the whole community that's a sin for the whole community i firmly believe that and then like bringing this back then to the muslim community and what you through the muslim foster care association work so hard to bring awareness to um we've got barriers there's no doubt about that we've got a lot of taboo around this because we do have uh gender separation when you have um like in your own biological family it's different but if you have suppose a foster child that is coming in and they're going to be of the opposite gender from either one of the parents that's generally one of the the main concerns of it that there is a certain level of distance and privacy that sort of comes into play in all of this so i what i wanted to ask is that how do you like sort of get through to the muslim community in the, in those sense that how is it that you are breaking down barriers to help bring more people more like foster parents to be able to foster more muslim children so um we worked very hard to recruit um our local imams and religious mm-hmm. leaders and we actually um the american faculty council actually mm-hmm. came out with a paper um mm-hmm. about fostering and the importance mm-hmm. of it and you know we try to provide practical ways to navigate that i mean i mm-hmm. have three boys but right. as you said bringing in boys is easy for my boys and my husband but right. for me i when i was around my older um foster sons i would you know put a hijab on right. and i i tell and people say well that's so restrictive and how do you manage and i said you know what the upstairs is completely private for me right. nobody was allowed upstairs the right. first floor when i came down i put on a hijab but i do the same when my kids friends come over right. there's no different right. i'm you know and and i we welcome my my son's friends over all the time they right. come over they stay over so the same level of you know i mean it's i think of it that way right. and yes it's a little bit more you know it can be you know it's more of a daily 
thing as opposed to just occasionally. But mm. after a while, it just becomes routine, and right. you know that that level of that this this level of respect that that brings mm. to the relationship too that I think is really important. And um, you know, you have as a foster parent, you do have a choice in what you think would be a good fit for your family, and I think that's right. important to you for your listeners to know. So when you go through the foster licensing process you put in what type of child that you think would be a good fit for your family what gender mm. what age range right. what number right um and when you are called to have a child placed with you you ask for background um mm. uh, and you are able to say no it's not that any child that's sort of you know um, that you called on that you have an obligation or, or to to say yes to. So depending on what's going on in your life at that right. time, um, you know you can say yes or no. And one of the ways that we've trying to encourage almost in community get involved in is that at least get the licensing and right. consider respite care. Right. So respite care is when yeah. you you take a child in that's. Placed in foster care, mm-hmm. but the foster family needs some respite, so they're oh, going on a vacation out of the state, and right. your child didn't get permission from the bio parents to go with them, or there's a illness in the family, mm-hmm. and you know the parents are called away or they ill themselves. You know it provides temporary relief, and so oh, even during the time that I had my foster children, I had friends who became licensed and provided respite care for my family, mm-hmm. um, because you you do need as a family also to have that 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 safe space um, right. safe space in the sense that you need to have sometimes you need to have a space where it's just you, need you and to have your a bio t- space family. to breathe basically because yes, it is sometimes. a lot and it's it not is. the fault yeah. of the foster child per se no, absolutely not but you know you do need a time to sort of decompress sure. and then come back to it with yes, a fresh absolutely. like point of view absolutely and i you know i i think the last child that we had um the it was you know it was uh from a family who had to go out of time for a family wedding and it mm. was um so it was, it was for you know for a long weekend right. but that child also has to be placed in a home even temporarily that's licensed so right. i encourage families that are considering it that to at least start with respite care muslim families start with respite right. care it gives you at least an exposure without a full commitment right. um because it's it's amazing once we once we welcome some of these kids into our homes and our friends and community members met these children. Right. I mean, I don't know what people think foster children are. They're not from another planet. It's so many I had comments like, "Oh, he's just a normal child. Oh, he just seems like a child from the community." And yes, they they are just children. They're just born in a circumstance that's different from right. normal children. Right. And it's through no fault of their own. Right. And so I think once people you know connect and see and uh, you know it changes their perspective right. you know i mean I, i would liken it to if you know if you had a close family member or a close friend who had something trying going on in their, in their lives would you be willing to take their children in right. you know for a while exactly. right right so no and that's the thing i think that what you do not just as a foster parent is incredible but that you you know co-created the the muslim foster care association Uh here's my question. Can any Muslim family from around the US become licensed through the Muslim Foster Care Association? Um does it have branches? How do we get in touch with you? So 
So we are an advocacy organization. We're actually right. not an agency. So okay. for anybody becoming licensed, they would have to go through a state um, right. uh, licensing uh, process. And if you just mm -hmm. Google foster parenting, they'll you know there's a um, foster care navigator that gives that that helps you find an agency that's close to you, um, and you have a choice between becoming licensed, becoming licensed as a domestic foster parent or foster family um, or refugee, uh, you know, foster parent. And you can be single and become a foster parent. You can be married and become a foster parent. You can be divorced and be a foster parent. And you can have a whole family of your own and be a foster parent. It's right. just during that licensing process, they want to be able, the state will, will determine whether, you know, to make sure that is this environment that you're able to provide safe and nurturing right. for a foster child. So our organization right now, is involved with private agencies, foster mm -hmm. care agencies, and licensing agencies. Um, and when a foster, so here's the thing: mm. when a child comes into foster care, they're not really labeled as Muslim or, or Christian or right. Jewish or Hindu. And so the only way that we know Muslim foster child is in foster care is if an agency reaches out to us right. and says we have this child placed in in a home that family is looking for resources and i'm going to give you some couple of specific examples in how we're providing support if i may so sure. we if we know a child's been placed in a home we provide a comfort package backpacks mm. and school supplies um if they, you know since they're muslim maybe a small prayer rug some prayer beads if they're female hijab okay just mm. to kind of and then a quran if the right. child requests if they're old enough to read um we have um during the eid uh, either other and either fitter locally um, we have programs where we send out um, uh, you know uh, emails to the agencies and the local um, state department uh, fostering agency to, to say that we have this program tell us who's which or, or where the Muslim children where they're mm -hmm. placed um, and we will we'll, what we do is we try to then give care packages or eat packages where the gift card um, right. sometimes with younger kids you know dolls um, toys um, to have that, that goes to the agency and then the agency then distributes. And mm -hmm. the reason we don't know, I mean, some of, of this is the privacy issue. You know, people right. don't want, we don't want to advertise, you know, people don't, the state doesn't want to advertise where the foster children are placed. So, so right. as an organization, we do have to work with agencies and the state to right. try to identify who these children are. And right. most recently, I'll tell you, because of the work that we've been doing, creating these connections, last year when the U.S. Um, withdrew from Afghanistan. Mm. We had a huge influx of not only Afghan families, but mm. Afghan unaccompanied minors. minors and yes. specifically in Michigan, we had several hundred that came. Right. And the government organization that helps these children transition, mm. the way that they help them transition into the community was to place them in foster care. Right. And so our organization was contacted to help with this transition. Mm. And so we 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 helped to provide um, local imams that, that went to the facility to help um, to give khutbahs mm. to, um, we tried to find um, uh, trauma-informed uh, therapists that have mm. Afghan background, uh, we tried to find, um, we found um, volunteers that have, were Dari and Pashta speaking because one of the challenges mm. with the Afghan unaccompanied minors were that, whereas in other refugees that come, uh, even like the Syrian refugees, one of the most right. recent ones, they speak Arabic. And so to be able to find Arabic speaking in the community is very easy. Yeah. This was a very 
big challenge. And right. really, this is where our organization really grew in terms of helping really um, facilitate, uh, you know, care and transition for these children. And most of these uh, Afghan and company minors, again, ended up in homes of mm. other faiths. And again, really, it's it's a testament to these communities that they're taking in children from other other oh, yes. you know other faiths other, other ethnicities and so right. you know i i think as a as a muslim community as a community we're still so behind right. in not just even accommodating our own you know children from our own ethnicities and faith right. background but opening up to children of other faiths and backgrounds faith so i well. we are indebted to these families who have taken these ch- children in and so what we want to do and what we try and strive to do is to really provide support to them, be a mm-hmm. resource to them. So mm-hmm. for these Afghan children, our um, coordinator, um, uh, she set up, a, a, she helped with this, um, with this kite picnic event. Oh, um, wow. And, um, and then she sets up with, uh, she has, uh, she's been setting up cooking uh, sessions mm-hmm. so that the families, these families can learn uh, about Afghan cooking. Right. Um, one of our new initiatives has been because some of these children are placed in more rural um, areas. So, and a lot of families don't know what halal meat is, where you get right. halal meat from. And so right. we're, we're, initi- we're actually in the process of starting this program where we're going to help um, families uh, connect them with local uh, halal meat stores, maybe even uh, provide some of the meat initially or supplement right. some of the, uh, the halal meat because it's not easy having a child that comes in. I mean, as, you know, even as a, as a Muslim uh, foster parent, to have a child that's from a different ethnicity, right. learning their culture, learning their, their right. eating habits and the, the different foods. And so we're trying to be that resource, that connection to help that child really you know, best transition as they can. Right. And most people don't realize, but food is a very, it's such a basic thing that if you have familiar food, a lot of anxiety does go away. You're in a new space. But if even even if you have that one thing, food is familiar, um, it goes a long way in helping ease the transition into a new environment, new family, new everything. Well, and, you know, even uh, in during Ramadan, right. setting up iftars, iftaris right. for these kids to be able to move from some different facilities, different families right. to come together. Um, it is, it, it's a source of comfort. Right. And when, you know, you have so many things of your identity, you know, that you can't bring with you, right. um, whatever we can do to try to give them some sense of connection to their right. identity, um, you know is is what we're trying to do and primarily because it's such a hands-on type of work that we do we are focused locally we don't have branches in other states but we do have agencies and other muslim organizations from other states that do reach out to us and oftentimes will ask for our assistance and uh, we do provide um consulting to try to help Mm -hmm. them establish some of these things in their areas um but you know it's a brand new thing that we're doing right. and we're learning and we're trying to, you know, build scale and increase capacity because mm-hmm. the need is only increasing. Right. And what we're trying to do really is to get the word out so that foster families see us as a resource, not as just right. somebody coming in meddling and telling them we should be doing this and should be doing that. But really, right. because at the end of the day, if that child doesn't acclimate well with the family or the family, there's too mm-hmm. much, disruption and challenges then that child ends up being taken out and placed somewhere else and so it's in the best interest of the child 
and the family to to have that understanding. And what we found was in some situations where there were behavioral issues, that really all it needed was somebody to try to help translate. You know, that lost in translation, right? Right. Um, right. Not just language translation, but cultural translation. Right. You know, misunderstanding um, that led to you know more whole families and. Allowing children to be, you know, staying in the same in the, in the home longer, and for families to be able to manage the, um, the the transition easier. Because that's the bottom line, basically, of fostering, that that child has already been through trauma of any uh, sort. You can either say domestic or, you know, when they're refugees, they've been through trauma. the The purpose of fostering a child is to grant them stability that they don't already have, and as foster parents that would be the, our job to give them stability no matter like how we get the support for that to make it more stable for the foster child and again like i said i think what you do uh, through the or, uh, to the association is so amazing please tell my audience how they can get in touch with the muslim foster care association for your resources the information and how to be foster parents and muslim foster parents it doesn't matter like sure. at this point we we need both so please do let so, us know so yes so how, how can you help um so we are we have a website www.muslimfostercare.org we have information on there about the different types of fostering how to become licensed um we have a sign up sheet for volunteering if you're in the local area um obviously financial support is huge for any organization to um, be able to provide the services that we do and and then of course there's an opportunity to donate on the website there and then you will have a phone number there too if anybody wants to contact us through the phone but uh, really um this is a need that's in every community and even even outside of the muslim community in general the foster care system is just egregiously short of right. good licensed foster homes and these children are our children that have just been born into circumstances that we can't imagine right. and they're just looking for a place to find safety and some space right. and you know you'd be surprised as to how much children have the capacity and the resiliency to if put in the right environment can can really thrive and mm-hmm. make up those losses um and so much of it has to do with you know your intention mm-hmm. and um we have to remind ourselves especially as muslims you know our intention is always in service and in, as an obligation to mm-hmm. a creator who has told us that this is an obligation for us right. to serve those in the less fortunate and when we when we're given fortune and we're given um stability ourselves that we use that for the betterment of you know those around us and so in whatever capacity you know it, it, we just we just happened i just happened to fall into you know fostering it wasn't something i was looking for right. but if you're looking for community and service there will be some aspect in your community that you can become involved and i would just encourage you it may be fostering it may not be but um there's so much that you can do even outside of outside of fostering that you can help support foster families because you right. get burnt out it's not right. you know it's definitely a challenge and personally i had to step away from fostering in order to help with you know grow the organization mm. um but i'm still licensed i still am available for respite care right. and um it's it's important that we don't we don't you know lose these children right 
Just like we have villages for our own children, these children do deserve their own village. And that's why I'm so grateful for what you do when, through, the through the association, Dr. Samina. I mean, thank you so much for being here with us and, you know, telling us all of this integral information. And thank you to everybody who's listened in and watched us on YouTube. Y'all take care of yourself and may peace be on you all. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you so much for tuning in to I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And if you wish to follow my social media for more updates, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. All the links to those are in the show notes. And if you are on Apple or on Spotify or on Podchaser, please do give my podcast a five-star rating. It really does help get me, you know, in the public eye. And if you wish to donate to support the podcast, you can do so through the PayPal link in my show notes as well. Take care.